0: This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting, different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time. And we have a very interesting, provocative, and positive guest who's going to really tell us a lot about how we, as parents and individuals working with other folks who have attention deficit disorder, how we can actually manage them successfully, proactively, and with compassion. We're going to talk about it in great detail in just a second. And Dr. Sharon Saline is here. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chuck. I'm really excited to be here and to talk with you.
0: It's going to be fun. So, first of all, we'll say a couple words from our sponsors and then we'll go from there. Core Brain Journal is, as you know, folks, supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved, targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond guesswork that we see so often in medical care. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and medical providers on how to use that data effectively in the office. So they do have an interesting offer here. Check out their website for references and testing materials. But take note, they do have this offer where you can register for a complimentary test drawing this week if you get over there, and they have a variety of tests that they offer, I don't have the record of what it is this week. You go over and take a look. One of them, for example, would be organic acid testing. One would be immunoglobulin G. Really very interesting. So go over to greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal and get hooked up over there. So let's go ahead and talk about who Sharon Celine is. She is lives in Northampton, Mass. She's a clinical psychologist and author of the forthcoming, now published today, folks. This is recorded on the day that it's published. The forthcoming book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And in the subtitle is Working Together to Empower Kids for Success in School and Life. Now, that is such an interesting title. She specializes in working with children young adults and families living with ADHD also with learning disabilities and other mental health issues her unique perspective as a sibling in an ADHD home combined with decades of experience as a clinical psychologist and educator clinician consultant assists her in guiding families and adults towards effective communication and closer connection she's really an affirmative person you're going to enjoy this interview she lectures and facilitates workshops internationally on topics such as understanding ADHD. Get this, folks, one of our favorite topics, executive functioning, and different kinds of learners with the team brain. So you can learn more about her, and we'll have this on the website at www.sharonceline.com, S A L I N E.com. So, Sharon, let's talk a little bit. You have such a comprehensive Great CV here. How did you get focused with this background down to ADHD and what you could do with families to make those kids connect better and work more effectively in school and life?
1: That's a great question, Chuck. Uh, I grew up in a family with a brother who had undiagnosed ADHD and anxiety, and he struggled and my parents struggled and I watched them struggle. Sometimes I was involved in the struggle and sometimes I distanced myself to try to stay away from what was going on in the conflict, but it was a very volatile house. And I was drawn in my 20s to study psychology and family therapy. And as I began to work with families over time, I found myself drawn to families who were living with the challenges of ADHD. And around that time, you know, about 10 years into my practice, my brother had had a child and this child was diagnosed with ADHD. And then my brother realized that he had it. And so it started all to sort of come together. You know, I was finding myself pulled for reasons I wasn't sure, except I enjoyed the humor and the excitement of working with these families because it is exciting. There's a lot going on in the room and their, their desire for change, they want to make things better. And it's always really nice as a psychologist to work with families or clients who really want to get into a better place. So all of these forces came together and I found myself more and more interested in ADHD, going to trainings, going to workshops to study with the luminaries, to study with Russell Barkley, to study with Ned Hallowell. And it sort of evolved.
0: Those guys are just great guys. We've had the opportunity to interview Dr. Hollowell here on Core Brain Journal. And he's he's such an interesting guy. And one of the things I like. About Doctor Hollowell, amongst many, he's he, first of all he's smart, which is always fun. But he has a perspective which I think is so constructive, and it's one of the things that I appreciated about your book. I got a preliminary copy and looked at your book. I didn't read every single word because I was rushing to get it done before we had this interview. But I can tell you, you can just read a couple pages and feel Doctor Celine coming across right at you with a very positive, affirmative. Constructive message that makes so much sense, I was telling her just before we started talking what an absolutely utilitarian book it is, how you can just take this book and feel it hits you. it hits you in such you feel embraced by Dr. Celine in reading the book she 's like reaching out and giving you a hug and teaching you how to hug others effectively and constructively while you 're actually doing some psychological things with him that are that are going to help them along life's way. So tell us a little bit about those people. Did you know Dr. Hollowell?
1: I don't know him personally. We know people in common. But Dr. Hallowell and Dr. Ross Green were really formative for me, as well as Dr. Robert Brooks. And I'll explain why. So I believe that people do the best they can, given the resources that they have available to them. And Dr. Green, Ross Green, has written some really tremendous books on this exact idea. Lost at School was one of them. And his philosophy is that kids do well if they can. And then you have Dr. Halliwell, and his belief is that ADHD is not a curse. There's a lot of great things about having ADHD and having an ADHD brain, and you have to sort of tolerate some of the limitations along with those great and embrace those great things. You know, look for the strengths. It's a very strength-based positive approach, and that appealed to me. And then you have Dr. Robert Brooks, who's done quite a bit of research on resiliency. And these things came together for me in a way, which was that, you know, if you can work with families with ADHD and you have a positive, strength based approach, and you understand that kids are doing what they can do given the resources that are available to them, and parents are doing what they can do given the resources that are available, then everyone has a little more compassion and forgiveness and slack for each other. And then Because people are willing to work together, they're able to build resiliency in their children, and I think also in the parents. It's a give and take. And so all of these things came together for me, and it became clear to me that what I was seeing in my office and when I did workshops were that parents and kids were missing each other's messages they kids were telling me things they weren't telling their parents. Parents were obviously, and sometimes very appropriately, telling me things that they weren't telling their children. But they weren't meeting each other, really. They weren't listening. And they weren't able to truly collaborate to make the changes that they all wanted to see. And that is why I wrote this book.
0: Well, and I think your book accomplished it. I mean, this is really, uh, you know, an unbridled, obvious, complete endorsement here, because really, this you, I don't get so completely passionate about books, except I was telling you about Korsibsky, because I'm totally passionate about, about Alfred Korsibsky. I've mentioned him a couple of times here in Core Brain Journal. But the reason I like your book so much is it does provide a very workable structure. It actually helps parents realize some things about themselves in the process of dealing with realizing some things about their children. And again, as you said just a moment ago, you can feel the affirmative quality coming across. I was using the metaphor of the embrace, but there's a certain feeling of acceptance and understanding if you see these qualities that are inherent in every individual and that a a parent can then build on these as opposed to pathologizing the situation and pointing out the difficulties. And here's another negative and And then we're going to have to retrain that brain because it's so completely out of whack kind of thing. And we have to, so it throws a whole negative discourse on a thing, on a process that needs to become constructive. That's why I'm so enthusiastic about your book.
1: Thank you. I really love stories. And I think that's why I became a psychologist. I'm interested in people's stories. And I'm interested, I've always been interested in the stories that kids are telling themselves about themselves you know what do kids say to themselves how do they encourage themselves to do things how do they motivate themselves how do they hold themselves back what are the messages that they're receiving from the adults around them that are both helping them move forward but also pulling them back into the quicksand Mm -hmm. and i think that for kids with adhd who receive so many negative messages, both verbally and sort of non-verbally, I was going to say physically, because actions or faces people mm-hmm. will make in response to them, they'll turn away or they'll, whatever they'll do with their bodies, they start to internalize those statements, those messages, those stories, and then they tell them about themselves. And yet there's more. There's something underneath. It's like, wait, I have something inside of me that's special, that's unique. How do I get that out in the context of feeling like I'm wrong all the time? So in this profound sense of shame and disappointment that these kids often carry around, the contrast to that is parents who are able to accept them where they are, notice their efforts, and work with them towards shared goals. That doesn't mean that they'll always reach the goals quickly or easily. But by noticing the efforts, that counteracts all of those negative messages and works towards the positivity ratio that Barbara Fredrickson has found, which is three positives for every negative, minimum. And think about what most of us, many of us receive, and especially what kids with ADHD and LD receive. It's not three to one.
0: It's amazing. You know, I'm thinking about interviews we've had with leadership guests who talk about leadership. And it's the same thing in our adult lives. You have a person who's emphasizing how we as a team can work together effectively because of the assets that these different team members have. Mm -hmm. Instead of, look, we're doing this wrong, we're doing that wrong, we're doing this wrong, and you got to do this better, and you got to do that better. You know, that whole thing of pathologizing the group and individuals in the group. I was in a situation myself many years ago when I had a very significant leadership position in a group, and the guy just chewed me out in front of everybody for really nothing. You know, It was the thing, I really didn't do anything wrong per se, but he had heard some rumors, so he decided to crank it up and say something. So it's one of those things where it goes on in the professional community. People who should know better don't really have the thing that you're talking about tied up down in their bones so they can't communicate it effectively oftentimes with patients or with patients' families. That's why what you're saying is so provocative and positively and useful. Let's take a moment to talk a little bit and then we'll take a break in a second. But I think that you're one of the things, not one of the things, the five things you talk about. I love your five C's. Thank you. I mean, it's just make it easy. This is not complicated, folks. I mean, let's just get down to the basics on this. Why don't you start by taking a moment to talk about your five C's a little bit so people know what I'm talking about.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that I heard over and over again from parents is that a lot of the books that are aimed to help them are complicated. They can't remember the steps. There are lots of forms that they can't follow. Many of these parents of kids with ADHD have ADHD themselves. So I really wanted to come up with something that they could come to really quickly that would be right on the tip of their fingertips or their tongue. <laughs> so the first C is self-control. And what that means is that parents have to manage themselves first. You cannot help a child who is having a tantrum or is in the midst of an, an emotional a tidal wave or a meltdown. Gather themselves together and calm down if you yourself are dysregulated. And it's extremely hard not to be dysregulated when your child is provocative. So what I want to help parents do are the following things. First of all, note, start to notice what the bodily signs are that you're becoming dysregulated. Is your heart beating fast? Are you short of breath? Are you feeling hot? Your face? you sweating? These are signs that you're moving into the direction of being triggered and possibly losing it. When you can notice those things, then you can do some breathing techniques. I like alternate nostril breathing from yoga. It really calms the system down. But that doesn't work for everyone. Sometimes kids tell me they like smell the flower, blow out the candle, and that helps them. So sometimes that can help adults too. And if nothing works, what I encourage parents to do is to go to the bathroom because Every child understands that you have to go to the bathroom sometimes. Go to the bathroom, wash your hands, take a deep breath, and pull yourself together, remembering that your child lacks resources right now and is exporting all of their upset onto you. What kids told me over and over again is that's very difficult for them is when their parents become dysregulated, when they're, the kids, are off. That they need their parents to try to help them pull it together. I have one example of a, a little guy who gets, you know, he was in the car and he was provoking his sisters and his father wanted him to, you know, stop. He's driving, stop, stop. Kid wouldn't stop. Father threw a shoe at him. That was not an effective way to deal with the situation. And when we broke it down, the father said, well, I was driving. What was I supposed to do? And I was like, get off the road. Mm-hmm. Like, get to the next exit, tolerate the yelling in the back, get to the next exit, get out of the car, pull yourself together, and then deal with your son. And as we were talking about this, the son, who was like 10, said, yeah, that would have been a good idea because then I could have gotten out of the car and I could have calmed down. And maybe you could give me a hug because I would really like a hug. And the father looked at me and he said, no. I don't think I can do that, Dr. Sharon. And I looked at him and I raised my eyebrow, the left eyebrow, and I said, "Really?" And he said, "Come on." Okay, I'll try. And I say, "Okay, good." So that's the self-control. The the next C is compassion. And really what that's about is remembering this idea that kids want to do well if they can. That's the raw screen idea. Yeah. Kids want to do well if they can, and if they're not, what's going on for them? That's impinging that ability. So I've transformed that for ADHD kids to be kids really want to do well if they have the resources to do that. And they're in an environment that encourages that. And so when parents can practice compassion for themselves that they mess up, they lose it for their kids that their kids mess up and lose it, then there's an atmosphere of kindness and forgiveness. So that helps kids accept themselves because they feel accepted, and it also helps them see their parents as an ally. And these kids need an ally. I was just recently talking with my brother about his childhood, and we don't always talk about this, and he said, I never felt like I fit in. I mean, Mm -hmm. here he is, you know, 50 years old, he's like, I never felt like I fit in. I had some friends, but I never felt like I fit in. That's a lasting impression right? Absolutely. You want to feel as a kid, you want to feel like you at least fit in with your parents. And that often isn't, unsadly, isn't the case.
0: Well, and compassion is intimacy, really. I mean, what happens is if you're compassionate with a person, you're not saying, I love you. You're not being so completely explicit. I could imagine a lot of guys not wanting to get too explicit verbally about Mm -hmm. loving and caring, Mm -hmm. but by being compassionate about that other person, it's a measure of intimacy and respect. I see this Mm -hmm. positive thing about you. I understand you. I care about you without necessarily saying it in real words, but by through that understanding, then the child can say, well, I have this piece about me that's okay, which is what we were talking about earlier.
1: And doesn't everyone need that to have a sense of self-esteem and to build resiliency? I mean, life is challenging and there are times when you will get knocked on your your rear end, but you have to have some sense of yourself that's positive to get up and keep going and try again. And that's what's really amazing about these kids. I I know I'm dragging out the five C's here, but what really amazes me about kids with ADHD and one of the reasons I love working with them is... They get up over and over and over again. They go to school, which is often the hardest area of life for them. They re-engage with their family because they want to connect and they want to do well. So for collaboration, what that means is including kids in the solution process. And you don't have to do a particular, oh, here, do this step one and this step two. It's fairly simple. You sit down, you ask about what's going well, you ask what's not going well, and in a particular area, you know, maybe it's school, maybe it's home, maybe it's something with their sibling or a friend, and then you ask them, what would you like to see be different about that thing that's not going well? And then you may offer your observations neutrally. I notice this, I see that. Together. You come up with a plan. Perhaps you have some things on your agenda that you would like to see changed. They have some things on their agenda, and maybe one of them overlaps. You start with that because then you have buy-in. And for kids with ADHD, if there's no buy-in, there's no commitment to the program or to success because of all the negativity that they feel, and also because these are very spirited kids. They want to participate.
0: This is such a good discussion, and I'm going to take a break in just a second here, but I just want to compliment you again. Sorry to be so effusive about my compliments, but, you know, really, as you think about this, listeners, what Dr. Celine is talking about here is conflict resolution on, on a very high order. I mean, it looks like a parent with kids, but you think about marital difficulties, and you think about adults having problems with adults, which really winds up being infantilization very often, Because everybody regresses to an unhappy state of childhood where they're screaming and lose their own control. And exactly what Dr. Selene is talking about here is something that could be used ordinarily in marital discord. Because what happens is there is the measure of the one individual gaining some internal self control, hoping that the other one does. The compassion, in that I'm trying to understand you. And then, really, what she's talking about here regarding collaboration is really objectifying the process. Here are the things that are on the table. Here's what I see on the table. What do you see on the table? It's beginning the uh, negotiation process in a stepwise fashion that makes so much sense. So listen, we're gonna take a break right now. We're gonna be back in just a moment, but when we come back, I'm gonna ask Dr. Celine to wrap up the rest of the five C's. Folks, we've only got two more left. Oh my gosh. Then we're going to be able to talk a little more about applications. <laughs> <laughs> applications in your home, in your office. Let's talk about it in just a second. We'll be right back. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word for predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally, both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications, and is available internationally for both public and medical professionals. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward/cbj. slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal, CBJ. Well, welcome board folks. We're back again here with Dr. Celine, Dr. Sharon Celine, and she is talking about us she's from Northampton, Massachusetts, and she's talking to us about a whole lot of interesting things of a recent book, and we'll talk about the book in just a second. We want to get right back to this interesting conversation because it's so easy to be enthusiastic about good answers. And so we have hit already self-control, we've hit compassion, We're talking about the collaboration process. Now, I hope I didn't cut you off, Sharon, when you were talking about the collaboration process. Was there anything more you want to say about that before we go to the next step?
1: No, actually, you didn't cut me off. You interjected a really important point, which is that collaboration is based on respectful listening. And that means believing that your child has something valid to say and that they know themselves. Because these kids do have some ideas about what works for them and their brains. And we as adults, we have to listen to them and try to incorporate them into what we think is best in order for the solutions to stick. So the fourth C is consistency. Now, I don't think anybody is perfect. And in fact, I really believe that people can only change one thing at a time. So I don't expect parents to do it right all the time. I don't expect kids to do it right all the time. I don't expect myself to do it right all the time, although I would like it if I did.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Me too. I know the feeling.
1: <laughs> right. But what consistency means is doing it right as much as possible. And when I say right, I mean saying what you are going to do and meaning it. What happens a lot in families is that people get upset and then there's threatening of this, that, and the other, you know, negative consequence that they can't follow through. I mean, one father threatens to take away his daughter's birthday party because of something she did. And of course, you know, he wasn't going to do that. He had to backpedal. And then the message that his child gets is, Oh, okay. You don't really mean what you say. Mm-hmm. So there are times when we have an evening routine and the evening routine is disrupted because you're sick or because we're going to grandma's for her 75th birthday or whatever it is. That's understandable. You explain that. But if you set up a routine and then your child thinks that if I, you know, nudge you enough, I can change it, and you do, then the lesson that they learn is I can nudge people to get what I want. So I think consistency in that realm, which is don't expect yourself and don't set up goals for yourself that you can't meet. Mm-hmm. The other part of consistency for me, which is very important, is about efforting. To me, consistency isn't always about reaching the goal over and over again, but it's about trying and continuing to try in an effective way and it's inherently related to celebration which is the fifth C which is noticing those efforts and giving positive feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: am not one of those people who does not believe in praise. I actually think praise is great if it's specific and immediate and it doesn't have to be oh you cleared the table let me bake you a cake it's like <laughs> hey you cleared the table high five eye contact good job. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. You want those positive comments yeah. to go in. And that's what's going to build a good sense of self. So it's that noticing the effort and, hey, you know what? I you, you got off the computer when your alarm went off. I had to come get you, but you got off. We didn't argue. That was cool. That kind of thing.
0: So true. You know, I was thinking while you were saying it, it's, a, it's again, a, the usefulness of your remarks are so interesting and encouraging. But I was thinking about actually teaching children. You know, one of the things I've been a strong advocate is thinking about having mediation classes that children would run themselves with dispute resolution in grade school, that Mm -hmm. they would be trained mediators further with their colleagues. So they would start negotiating what the boundaries are and what the offense was. And they would actually then earn awards for being trained negotiators in grade school. They could have a hierarchy. If he's a beginner negotiator, he's an intermediate negotiator, oh, we're going to have to send this to the expert fifth grader negotiator, you know, who's going to come in there and who's had some experience. I think it would be so much fun in schools. But what you're talking about, you're going to say- That's
1: wonderful. I love that idea. And I mean, they used to do the conflict resolution. They'd have peer advisors or peer conflict resolutions way back in the 90s.
0: I didn't I know they did that. I mean, that, that was, was
1: very popular. Oh, I lived in California at the time and kids were, we trained kids in schools and they would, you know, it was usually in elementary school, like sixth graders and they had a special t-shirt that they <laughs> yeah, wore yeah, yeah, yeah. and they would sort of be on the playground and different kids would do it on different days on the playground or the in the cafeteria for lunch. And they would be the ones who would if there was a conflict, they would come over and do exactly what you said. But it it kind of went out of favor, which is too bad, because I think we could really use it now.
0: Well, it's really big. I mean, I was raised in a small town in southern Missouri for up until the eighth grade. And the big deal down there was becoming a school crossing guard. <laughs>
1: you know, and, I remember those and, and this days. Is, this
0: is so much more evolved with <laughs> self-management and really understanding and language and thinking than becoming a school crossing guard. You know, it's it's amazing. And then you teach a child to actually negotiate from, I think one of the things that happens with administrators in my dialogue with administrators is they just don't want that child to be so empowered that they can argue all the time. They're already arguing. And so somehow, if we help them have that level of responsibility, they're going to be arguing about everything. And I'm going to have to go on with this instead of like, Here's how we can manage this by having two or three solutions. Let's just choose and be done with it. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to have to negotiate all the details. Well, and people don't really know how to negotiate By just saying, well, let's pick one of these and come up with it and see how it works, you know, and get a closure on it. Everybody thinks they just have to negotiate until they turn to ashes. I think
1: that's really true. And I think one of the challenges for parents today that I see is that there's a confusion between a negotiation and giving in. Because there's a way in which, particularly with kids with ADHD, who are very, they can be very assertive in their opinions and sometimes combative, that parents relent because they just don't want to deal with it anymore. And the challenge is, how do you teach a child to speak up for themselves appropriately and respond for you yourself as an adult appropriately as well?
0: And I think timing is important there. And I, I don't. You may have mentioned this in the book. I didn't see this part in the book, but. I think another way to handle that part of it, that point that you were talking about there in the negotiation process is to set up a time to discuss it because that would put some neutrality on it as well. Like, hey, look, we're obviously having a dispute right now. Why don't you give this some thought? I'm gonna hear you out. And then let's sit down and actually put pencil to paper and come up with some ideas. But let's do it in about a half an hour when we both have a little more time and when we can actually think about this more carefully. And just putting that time Mm -hmm. in takes that emotional pressure off. And then it can be a much more objective um, office-like procedure where we, we're going to do this cognitively and objectively as opposed to affectively.
1: I absolutely talk about that in my book. I say, you know, you pick a time not in the middle of the upset where you come back to it in a calm way and you discuss Because you can't do it in the middle of an upset. And I think that's what happens in a lot of families is you're in the middle of of something that's evolved that you didn't expect and you want to try to figure it out and you can't. And, it just sort of snowballs into something. I call those things, so I I encourage families to take what I call time aparts, but you plan them before the event and you plan how long they are, you plan where they're gonna go. You just decide, okay, look, I'm calling a time apart and our time aparts are... 20 minutes and you can go to your cozy comfort space that we created for you. We just need to separate. And this definitely works somewhat better with teenagers, although you know younger kids can do it, 9, 10, 11. but it's harder for younger kids, five, six, seven, eight, because they don't have the cognitive brain development yet to be able sometimes to remove themselves. When asked, you know, if parents say, look, we're just going to take a time apart. We're going to talk about this in a half hour. But you have to have set up what that time apart is consists of. Because you, know, you can't just say, I don't want to be with you for 20 minutes because the kid, that's not going to work. The kid's going to be kind of left out, hung to dry.
0: Well, I think that whole thing, I'm, I keep listening to you and I keep thinking of all these other applications. So forgive me for free associating a little it's bit. awesome. But I- But I'm thinking about you and the value of your words and your work, not only with troubled families, but I do consultation with child and adolescent residential care centers, Mm. you know, and I think Mm. about treatment failure after treatment failure after treatment failure. And then they're in this place where people are, one of the benefits they have for the problems that are brought in is some consistency in terms of approaching things some consistency in meals and discussion and conflict resolution but i think that that's a wonderful opportunity for you to think about residential treatment centers i mean really what a great place to go because if they just took the five c's and made that the way we do conflict resolution and trained all the staff to do that in a residential treatment. I mean, think about the benefit that would accrue in mm-hmm. that larger scale with an entire center. And there, and there are a lot of residential care centers in the country that mm-hmm. could use this. It would be a lot That's of fun. That's a
1: very you. interesting idea. Thank you.
0: you. Put a package together on that because you would be mm-hmm. you'd be a major hit because <laughs> they. I like the one I'm working with. The guy's a very evolved guy of. I've interviewed him here, Rob McCartney. He's over at uh, the Barry Robinson Center here in Norfolk. And uh, he's very big on not putting people in timeout and not putting them in rooms and and having that kind of punitive separation. But I think this offers a constructive separation and Mm -hmm. in a way that has a certain plan associated with it with a plan even following the separation, okay? So then we're going to come back and we have these other objectives that we hope to accomplish after that period of time, which is one of the things you you say so effectively and and really so well. I think it's another place that you can think about the application of of your work. It's just so much fun. Thank you. I can see you going around the country talking.
1: To awesome. That would be awesome.
0: Hey, Sharon, it's an opportunity to go to Idaho, you know, go out to the ranch in Idaho, do That's a so week out there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I would love to see more people use the five C's. It's my whole hope with this book is to reach more people and, and help people get on the same page and reduce conflict, reduce stress, and increase connection and closeness.
0: Yeah, the other title for the book would be, and this is just occurring to me, so I haven't thought out entirely, but what your ADHD partner wishes you knew?
1: Mm, that's the next book, I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> just
0: A little suggestion. <laughs> and because, you know, it's going to be easy to write because you're there. And then what right. happens is, and it certainly has application because you think of all the people and the coaching opportunities that occur within families for the adults amongst themselves. Then really the next, interesting. And then the next one after that is what your and I wanna use the word ADHD in this context, what's your impulsive employee wishes? <laughs> you. <laughs> then you go and hit the corporate right. market there, that'd be so much fun. Because you could I could see you doing that as well. The, I can see you speaking on Google right now. You're going to the entire Google Symposium doing doing a Google talk. Fantastic. Well, this has been such an entertaining and really more importantly, useful. And I, hate to, I overuse the word utilitarian, but it's one of my favorite words because if it's not utilitarian, why in the heck are we doing it? I mean, if we don't have a punchline to it, if there's not a change in the way we're approaching complex situations in some constructive way, Then what's the point? I mean, you know, it's like, let's do it. Let's get it together. So, you know, Sharon, Celine, you've just done a great job with this book. We really uh, appreciate your taking the time to come and talk to us about this. In closing, I mean, we're winding down here a little bit. Would you say there are any specific cautionary notes that you would say to listeners as they come up to approach the book? Sort of, hey, here's the one thing that I would say is a cautionary note. Do you have any? Any issues there? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit because I'm trying to think about what would be the reason to not get into this? What would be the reason a person would say, well, it's over my head or I don't, do you have anything you want to say about that?
1: I would say that the cautionary note would be that I think some parents may think I already know what my child, what's going on with my child. Good point, good point. And I don't need to read a book about what is going on with my child. They tell me and we're fine. And I think that that's true. They tell you some things, but they don't tell you everything. And it's not that my book is going to tell you everything, but it's going to hopefully open some windows that may have been closed or shed some light on areas that would lead you to have conversations with your child about things that you may not have otherwise talked about.
0: Yeah, so true. Well said. So in closing, Sharon, tell us where we can get connected with you and then we'll wind up for this time.
1: The best way to connect with me is on my website, wwwdrsharenselene.com but I also have a very active Facebook page, Twitter, and I uh, and a Twitter and I'm on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would love for people to just go to my website. I have a lot of videos there for appearance and for people living with ADHD, older teens, and college age students with lots of tips and blah. There's a blog that I write and links to articles that I've written. So it's really a full service website about all kinds of ways that my particular perspective and approach can help people and families living with ADHD.
0: Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I want you to hang on. I'm going to turn the recording off, but I want to make sure I talk to you at the end of this because I got some offline things that I want to talk to you about.
1: So So nice to meet you, Chuck. And it's such a pleasure to be here. I hope we can do this again sometime.
0: Me too. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CoreBrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.